You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. King Ahab and his evil queen Jezebel have led Israel astray by worshipping other gods. The land is gripped by a terrible drought. While the prophets of God have been under siege by Jezebel's orders to kill them, the worship of Baal has flourished. Elijah, God's prophet, demands to see Ahab. Ahab went to meet Elijah, and when he saw him, Ahab shouted, There you are, the biggest troublemaker in Israel! Elijah answered, You're the troublemaker, not me. You and your family have disobeyed the Lord's commands by worshipping Baal. Call together everyone from Israel and have them meet me on Mount Carmel. Be sure to bring along the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Ahab got everyone together. Then they went to meet Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you try to have things both ways? If the Lord is God, worship him. But if Baal is God, worship him. The people did not say a word. Then Elijah continued, I am the Lord's only prophet, but Baal has 450 prophets. Bring us two bulls. Baal's prophets can take one of them, kill it, and cut it into pieces. Then they can put the meat on the wood without lighting the fire. I will do the same thing with the other bull, and I won't light a fire under it either. The prophets of Baal will pray to their God, and I will pray to the Lord. The one who answers by starting the fire is God. That's a good idea, everyone agreed. Elijah said to Baal's prophets, There are more of you, so you go first. Pick out a bull and get it ready, but don't light the fire. Then pray to your God. They chose their bull. Then they got it ready and prayed to Baal all morning, asking him to start the fire. They danced around the altar and shouted, Answer us, Baal! But there was no answer. At noon, Elijah began making fun of them. Pray louder, he said. Baal must be a god. Maybe he's daydreaming or or using the toilet or or traveling somewhere. Or maybe he's asleep and you have to wake him up. The prophets kept shouting louder and louder and they cut themselves with swords and knives until they were bleeding. This was the way they worshipped and they kept it up all afternoon. But there was no answer of any kind. Elijah told everyone to gather around him while he repaired the Lord's altar. Then he used 12 stones to build an altar in honor of the Lord. Each stone stood for one of the tribes of Israel, which was the name the Lord had given to their ancestor Jacob. Elijah dug a ditch around the altar, large enough to hold about 13 quarts. He placed the wood on the altar. Then they cut the bull into pieces and laid the meat on the wood. He told the people, Fill four large jars with water and pour it over the meat and the wood. After they did this, he told them to do it two more times. They did exactly as he said, until finally the water ran down the altar and filled the ditch. 
When it was time for the evening sacrifice, Elijah prayed, Our Lord, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now prove that you are the God of this nation and that I, your servant, have done this at your command. Please answer me so that these people will know that you are the Lord God and that you will turn their hearts back to you. The Lord immediately sent fire and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones. It scorched the ground everywhere around the altar and dried up every drop of water in the ditch. When the crowd saw what had happened, they all bowed down and shouted, The Lord is God! The Lord is God! Just then Elijah said, Grab the prophets of Baal! Don't let any of them get away! So the people captured the prophets and took them to the Kishon River, where Elijah killed every one of them. So now you know the narrative of our text today. It's found in uh, 1 Kings 18. So get your Bibles out and uh, go over to 1 Kings 18. Uh, something else you learned today you didn't know before, and that was that Elijah had an Australian accent. And uh, not really, but uh, it is cute. So um, Our message is called The Showdown at Mount Carmel. It was a winner-take-all kind of situation. I remember as a kid uh, watching uh, westerns on television, and you would uh, eventually you'd have a, a shootout, a showdown. And uh, I remember the one called the, um, the, the OK Corral, the shootout at the OK Corral. It actually did happen. It's a statement of fact. But um, back in that day, the, uh, the good guys wore like white and white hats, and the bad guys wore black and black hats. And at the end of the show, the white hat guys always won. But there was a showdown. It was a winner-take-all. Uh, Mount Carmel was a little bit like that. Um, it's going to be a winner-take-all. David and Goliath was a little bit like that. Uh, sometimes you have these in your home. You have these showdowns. There's going to be a winner-take-all. It can be uh, with your strong-willed child. And uh, you come to a point and you go, enough. And uh, we're going to have it out, and we're going to get this figured out, but we're not going to stop until it's done. Uh, maybe you've had to do that in your workplace. So you had to come to the place with your boss or an employee, and it's come, you know what? It's time. We're putting it all out on the table. Well, that's a little bit of what's going on here, and that's the story at Mount Carmel. It's found in uh, 1 Kings 18. I'm going to read part of it. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as uh, we read his word, uh, 1 Kings 18, and I'm going to start at verse 30. And then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two sayas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and you have turned their hearts back 
And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood, the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for this um, example we have in, in this man, Elijah, who stood alone for your glory. And Father, I pray that as we hear your word today, you would give us ears to uh, clearly listen to what you have to say to us. Help us to set aside the distractions of the day and focus on, God, what you want to say. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand, God, the, the truth of your word. And then, God, would you build into us a passion to live out for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, you've already heard the story, so we want to dive right in and just see what we've got going on here in this text. And uh, here's the first thing we want to see, and that is the challenge laid down. The challenge laid down in verses 19 and 20. And now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And so the Lord has revealed to Elijah what this plan is going to be, and now it's time for this to work its way out. And so Elijah says to Ahab, you gather all the people from across the nation, you, you bring them all together at Mount Carmel. And uh, Ahab does this. Uh, it's interesting to me, uh, Ahab didn't have to do anything for Elijah, uh, but he did. And Ahab calls the people, and they come, along with the 450 prophets of Baal, along with the 400 prophets of Asherah. We don't learn any more about them in this story. Um, that's where their part of the story ends. But there they are, all at, the, at Mount Carmel. Now, why? Why would Ahab have gone along with this scheme of Elijah? And I have to presume a little bit, but Ahab sent for all the people of Israel, and for three and a half years, there's been no rain. Elijah was the one who brought the message to Ahab. And for three and a half years, they've waited. Three and a half years, they've suffered. And I got to believe that finally, Ahab now has Elijah in the crosshairs, and he believes, we're going to go to Mount Carmel, and one of us isn't coming back. This is going to be the end of Elijah. It says he gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. There was only one group of people that hated Elijah more than um, Ahab did, and that was the prophets of Baal, because they'd been crying out to their God for three years. Ahab had been on their case, where's the rain, where's the rain, where's the rain, and they'd been crying out, and they had failed as well, and, and so now they're at Mount Carmel as well, and they're hoping to see Elijah, and they're hoping it's the day that we're done with Elijah. In verse 21, it says, And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him. There's three things I want us to see about the people today, and as we do that, take a look at your own heart and your own life and, and see maybe where the uh, parallel is. What you need to take from this is that's my story. Shouldn't be, but that's my story, and today is the day we're going to make a change. First of all, uh, these people, they had wandered. They had wandered all over the place. They had wandered in their spiritual walk. They had a divided allegiance. 
They had a one foot in the God Almighty camp and one foot in the Baal camp. They were the people of Israel. They knew what they were supposed to believe, but they saw all of these other things out there and they wanted those things as well. And so they tried to commingle these faiths together. And that's all about to come to a, to a, a peak, to a point at Mount Carmel. And I got to thinking about myself and how sometimes I love all that I have in Jesus Christ and all that he has done for me. All that was accomplished on the cross so I could have saving faith, so that I could be a child of God. And yet sometimes my other foot is in the world, in the things that the world offers and the things that it brings. And, and maybe that's your story. Maybe that's the way you are. You, you like to come to church and you like to get in small group and you like to, but you have this whole other thing going on in your life and it doesn't honor the Lord and the priorities aren't right. These people uh, were wanderers. How long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, uh, then follow him. It was a logical question that uh, he gave to them. They were lukewarm. They had this double devotion going on. But the God of Israel was not interested in a divided devotion. God was interested in their devotion being focused on him and on him alone. How long will you dance between these two opinions. I read this week. I love the way it kind of brought it together for me. Spiritually speaking, Israel was like an unfaithful partner in a marriage who doesn't want to give up their marriage partner, but also doesn't want to give up their illicit lover. The marriage partner has a legitimate claim to the exclusive devotion of their spouse. The marriage partner has a legitimate claim to the exclusive devotion of their spouse. And that's what's going on here. There's this divided loyalty. And God is about to bring that to a point. It is coming to the place where they must decide. The ancient word here for limp means to hop or dance or leap. Uh, they were jumping back and forth. One moment, they're excited about the Lord, and the next moment, they're excited about Baal. One moment, they're excited about worshiping. The next moment, they're excited about the things. Uh, sometimes we're excited about Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us, and other times our focus is on so many of the things that the world offers, and we want those things. And just like they were jumping back and forth, so often that could be our story. It's interesting that Elijah uses this word again in verse 26 when he talks about the prophets of Baal. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped or jumped or bounced, jumped, hopped back and forth around the altar that they had made. They wanted, the people of God wanted to be able to jump back and forth, choose what they thought was the best from both. And God is saying to them, today you must choose. You either serve Baal or you serve Yahweh. It's interesting that Elijah also, in the cry to them to choose, he says, how long? How long? Now, this has been going on for more than three and a half years. Three and a half years of the drought that's gone on was just the beginning of the ending of all of this story. This has been going on for years and years and years. And Elijah the prophet is crying out to them. He's saying, how long? How long will you be like that? Spurgeon has a great quote about this. He said, um, 
How many more sermons do you want? How many more Sundays must roll away wasted? How many warnings? How many sicknesses? How many toilings of the bell to warn you that you must die? How many graves must be dug for your family before you will be impressed? How many plagues and pestilences must ravage the city before you will turn to God in truth? How long will you jump between two opinions? And the church in the 21st century so often is not very different. How long will we jump between two opinions? We know what God's Word says, but we know what we want. And denominations across our nation and around the world are jumping back and forth as they grapple with issues like abortion and homosexuality and same-sex marriage. And they won't listen to what God's Word clearly says, and they won't stand for what God's Word says, and they jump back and forth trying to appease people and make people happy. Do we need to love people who are struggling in these things? Of course we do. Do we need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? Of course we do. But we can't be jumping back and forth. We can't be whatever way the wind is blowing on any given day. That's the way we're going to go. We need to take God's word and listen to what it says and do it and trust him even though the odds are against us. Just like Elijah did. How long? How long? They wandered. Now, these people were warned. Elijah gives them a great warning. They have to make a choice. He tells them, you cannot serve two gods. You need to make your choice. And after he preaches his heart out, they didn't say anything. According to the text, there was silence. And sometimes I think people think, you know, if we're just quiet... The pastor gets up on Sunday. The, the church teaches what it teaches. If we just kind of fly under the radar, it'll all go away. And God's saying it's not going to go away. There's going to be a judgment for them. It was coming. They were about to see what God was going to do. Um, but they were warned, and their silence was not an acceptable answer. But there is some good news, a little bit of good news, in that at least as Elijah goes on, they become willing. Look at verses 22 to 24. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it, and I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it, and you call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers me by fire, he is God. And all the people answer, it is well spoken. So it's kind of like, it wasn't like a, a, a strong endorsement. It was like, okay, that's an acceptable plan. Elijah, if, if you think that's the way we should go ahead, then, and then that's the way uh, we will go ahead. Think about the audacity to expect God to prove himself to his people. Say, well, okay. God, you prove yourself. This is the people of Israel. Now, this is the people that God has chosen. This is the people that God led out of the wilderness. This is the, out of Egypt. This is the people that God took into the promised land. God had proven himself. And now they're at, they get as far as, well, okay, we'll see how it works out. But at least they got to the place where they were willing now look at Elijah in the middle of all this in verse 22. He says, I, even I only, am left. 
Now, if you were here last week, you know I taught you that from the verses before that Obadiah had hidden 100 prophets of God from Jezebel so she wouldn't kill them. And so it's not a case of there isn't anybody else in the world who's following God except Elijah. But on the mountain on that day, you have all the people out there who are at best nominal. You have Ahab who's ready to kill Elijah. You have the 450 prophets who are ready to see him destroyed. You have the 400 prophets of Asherah. You have this whole mass of people over here. And you have Elijah over here by himself. And he felt very alone. There was no one else. He said, I, only I, am left. And then look down to verse 24 as he rolls out what's going to happen. And, and you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. The God who answers by fire, he is God. There will be a, a, an altar made by the prophets of Baal, and the, animal, the wood will be put on, the animal will be put on, and you will pray, and you will pray, and you will pray, and if God sends down fire, then he is God. I will pray, I will pray, I will pray. When God sends on fire, then I'll prove that he is God. And we'll figure this thing out, who truly is God. Elijah gave every advantage that he could to the prophets of Baal. It's thought that Baal was the sky god, the lord of the weather, the sender of lightning. And through that lightning, the fire would come. If Baal were really certainly could send fire from heaven. Of course, Elijah had plenty of reason to have confidence in the Lord. Uh, he had, well, the first thing I would say, he had confidence in the Lord because the Lord had expressed all of this to Elijah. Elijah hadn't just been sitting at home in his lazy boy chair uh, wondering, well, I wonder what we should do. I wonder what we should do. Oh, I got an idea. Let's get everybody to Mount Carmel. We'll build these things and we'll call down fire. And it wasn't Elijah's idea. It was God's idea. And so when Elijah was going out doing what God called him to do, he had confidence. It's like us in our walk. When we're doing what God reveals in his word, we should do. We should have great confidence that he's going to lead us. He is going to work. He is going to do his thing for his glory. Elijah had plenty of reason for confidence. And one of those reasons was because God gave him the plan. And the second reason was because God had sent down fire from heaven before. God did it in Judges 6 and God did it in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and God is going to use Elijah. Well, the next thing we want to see in our message is the contest is played out. The contest is played out. This is a, a you need God to show up moment in your life. This thing is way too big for Elijah. This is too big for me. Only God can do this. But here's how it plays out. First of all, we want to see the futility of following Baal. Look at verse uh, 26. In verse 26 it says, and they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and, ca and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered and they limped around the altar that they had made. The prophets of Baal were devoted to prayer. The prophets of Baal uh, served with longing and with great passion. Yet because they did not pray to the real God, their prayer meant nothing. There was no voice. No one answered. In verse 27, we see Elijah responding a bit to that. And at noon, after many hours, a number of hours, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. 
Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Where is your God? You've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying and, and nothing has happened. Where's your God? Is he, is he out daydreaming? Is he, is he going to the toilet? Where is your God? Where is your God? And look down at verse 28, and they cried even more. They cried aloud and cut themselves and after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And they cut themselves. They, these people were sincere. The prophets of Baal were sincere. They were passionate about what they were doing. They were devoted to it. But although they had zeal, they didn't have knowledge. Their zeal profited them nothing. The prophets of Baal were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. Sincerity is not the, the standard of truth. There's lots of people who are very sincere in their faith, but their faith is not leading them to Jesus Christ. Their faith is not leading them to the cross. Their faith is not leading them to e eternal life. There's a group of people who worship across the street. They are very sincere. But they're wrong. They've missed the point. They've lost sight of Jesus Christ. We live in a world where man tries to get to God or his own spirituality on, your, on their own. And, and they're sincere as all get out, but they're wrong. And these people were crying out to God and crying out to God and crying out to God. And no one answered, verse 29 says, and no one paid attention. The sad result of worshiping an imagery of God or of God of their own making, was that no one paid attention. They had great sincerity, they had sacrifice, they had devotions, but it meant nothing. But now let's look at the faith of the prophet. We see it coming out starting in verse 30, or some more of it in verse 30. Elijah steps forward, and in verse 30 he says, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Come near to me. So the people have been watching. Remember, the nation was called. There's probably thousands of people there. And Elijah says, now come. Come near to me. Now watch. You need to see. Because he knew, he believed what God was going to do. And so he calls them to come near to him. Uh, they would benefit from this as they saw what God would do and they needed to receive this benefit. They needed to see God's working because they needed to get their focus fixed on God and on God alone. Verse 30 again says, He repaired the altar that the Lord that was broken down. He prepared something that once stood strong. There had been an altar on Mount Carmel. God had been worshipped there, but God isn't worshipped there anymore. And so he takes the 12 stones and he, he builds the altar. And then he takes a bull and it's cut and he, he puts it on top of the wood, on top of the altar. So we have this stone all built up and then we have the wood all put on top and then we, we have the sacrifice, the bull that's being set and put on top of that. And, and then he says in verse 33, fill four water jars with water and pour it on, pour it on the burnt offering. Elijah required more of Yahweh than he did of Baal. There was no water poured on anything for those guys. And, and so they take the, the water, the four big jars of water, and they pour it on. Now, remember, this whole thing is about there's no water, there's a drought. 
And so water had great value. It was precious to them. And he goes, pour it on. So four jugs get poured on top. And then he goes, let's do that again. And four more jugs get poured, uh, poured on. And then let's do that again. And four more jugs get poured out on top so much that it runs down and fills the ditch that they put all around the outside. Now, I don't know about you, but I know this about camping. It's not a good idea to try and light wet wood. Wet wood doesn't light. But this is all being done so the people would see that God was about to do something. And it was God who was working. It was his glory that would shine. Verses 36 and verse 37 say, And it came time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah and the prophet came near and said, O Lord, son of, excuse me, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that, get it? Listen, that you are God. Not that I am something. Not that I am a big deal. Let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I'm your servant. I love that he says that. I'm just your servant, Lord. This, this whole thing is not about me. This whole thing is about your fame. This whole thing is about your glory, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. I've done all these things according to your word. Elijah doesn't want to be puffed up. Elijah wants God to be glorified. And I've done what I've done as your servant, and I've done what I've done at your word. At your word, God, I'm doing what you told me to do. And so I will do it faithfully and I will watch. I, I think about the faith of the prophet. I've been in situations where maybe the odds were against me a little bit. But I've never been in a situation where the odds were against me like this. The whole nation is at best is nominal. The 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, are they are in strong opposition. They want him dead. King Ahab can't wait to slit his throat. And Elijah's in faith. How did he do that? How did he get to the place where he could stand against the opposition? Well, I believe he did it because he was in communion with God. We've seen in the text before that God was speaking to him. God was communicating to him. That for sure is part of it. But Elijah had watched and he had seen God work in his own life. And so when it came time to make this very critical stand, he had a whole track record of things he could go back. He was the one who brought the message that said there's not going to be any rain. And he brought that to Ahab. And then you remember what God said. God said to go to the brook, stay at the brook. I'll take care of you. You can drink the water from the brook and the ravens will come and they will feed you. And Elijah watched, and he saw God work. He saw God work in his life. And God did that over and over, day after day, day after day, until the brook dried up. And then God sent him to his next assignment. And he goes to the widow at Zarephath, and he gets there, and, and she's like just about out of food. And God does a miracle, and he provides the food. And then her son dies. And God uses Elijah to bring him back to life. See, Elijah could remember and he could look back and he could um, um, rest in God's faithfulness and God's goodness. Do you do that? When the thing you're called to in your life this, this week or the, you were in last week and, and you're all fretting about it. See, Elijah could go back and he could remember all of those things God had done. Do you ever go back and rehearse the things that God has done for you? 
and remember the things that he has done? Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can go back and remember the day you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. That wasn't something you started. That wasn't something you did. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God. You didn't come to Jesus Christ because you were looking for him. You came to Christ because he opened the way for you to come to Christ. You need to never forget that. You need to remember the work that when you hated God, he loved you. And then many of you have stories in your life where God answered prayer of, of a, a salvation of a friend or a neighbor or a spouse or your children or, or God delivered you with a health issue or, or gave you a job and, and so many things so that when the struggle moving ahead is big and, and there you are and you're trying to figure out where your, your stand is going to be, you can, you can make your stand with confidence. You can make your stand with confidence. He was faith-filled prophet. And then we see the faithfulness of God poured out. The faithfulness of God is poured out in verse uh, 38. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And God responded to the cry of his servant. Elijah just did what he was called to do by God, and God responds. The prophets of Baal had cried out with passion and commitment and sincerity and devotion and great energy, and, and nothing happened. And then God answers Elijah when Elijah prays, and it says the fire comes down. The fire comes down. It's interesting. Usually when we think of fire, we think of a fire burning things up. But this fire comes down. And this is a, um, a working of God. This is um, a miracle from the Lord. Well, how do you know that? Well, first of all, the wood is soaking wet and it burns. It is consumed. The sacrifice is consumed. All of the water is consumed. And the rocks are consumed. The fire is so hot that God sends down that everything, including the rocks, are consumed. We had a, uh, when we lived up in Muskoka, we had a fire pit in our backyard, and, and we would have a fire out there every once in a while, and I never had to replace the rocks. Never had to. The rocks never got consumed. But when God sends a fire, when God does a work, everything is consumed. God does a work. The faithfulness of God to answer the prayer of Elijah, who says, I'm just the servant. We're here to see what God will do. And the last point in our message is um, the champion is crowned. The champion is crowned in verse 39. It says, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The great victory here is not Elijah's. The great victory here is God's. The great victor is God himself as God works. It's so cool that in the verses before, Elijah already has the focus going in the right direction. The focus is not towards him. The focus is towards the God who will answer his prayer. And when God does, the people respond and they fall on their faces. These people have experienced God's might the fire in their presence. There was no denying the reality of what happened. They're not sitting around hearing a story at a campfire two generations later about somebody's grandpa talking about what happened on Mount Carmel. There they were. There they saw it. God did the work. 
they experience God's might. I already mentioned to you, you experience God's might if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. You came to that place with you and all of your resistance. I can do this on my own. I want to just keep my foot in everything I can. And you came to the place of seeing God work and through a conviction in your life, God's spirit working in you, you came to the place where you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Remember that day? Remember that day? Remember the feeling that was in you of, I need to do this? The Lord Jesus Christ has revealed himself. His spirit has, has made this real to me. And you transferred your trust and you weren't hopping back and forth anymore. I'm getting on the Jesus Christ plan because of what he's done. He has accomplished my salvation. I'm putting my faith and trust in him. And you had that sense of peace, of knowing that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You experienced the power of God. And if you haven't, you can. Jesus Christ came so that we could have life and we could have it abundantly. Man trying to get to God in all kinds of ways, hopping all over the place, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Except by me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. It's so neat. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't even deserve it, but God gives that gift, and all you have to do is receive it. You accept the fact, I'm a sinner separated from God. Believe in your heart what Christ has done. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior and Lord, and you will be, you'll be saved. They experienced God's might. And look what they do. They exalted God in humility. They exalted him in humility. When all the people saw it, what did they do? They fell on their faces. They fell on their faces. Hey, in your own worship, when you're in the Word, when you're listening to music, when you're praying, you ever fall on your face before the Lord? You say, well, not physically. Well, why not? Why not get down on your knees? Why not get laid out on the floor? Why not give God the honor and the glory that he deserves? And I'm not saying you always have to do that. That can become just as ritualistic as anything else you do. But do you ever do that? Do you ever, in your heart, bow yourself before God with a, Lord, I'll do whatever you, I just saw the fire fall down. I just saw the wood consumed. I saw the sacrifice consumed. I saw the water is gone. I saw the rocks are consumed. I had that kind of experience in my life. And I'm falling before you, Lord, because you are God and you are awesome. See, that's what happens to them. They exalt God and they do it in great humility. I wonder how much of that kind of a picture describes me or describes you. How much of that kind of a picture describes our church and the sense of all that we have and God's blessing poured out on us is not because of schemes of man, but because of the power of God. They experienced God's might. They exalted him in humility. And then one more thing, they exclaimed to God in praise. They exclaimed to him, in praise. They could not contain themselves. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When God has your attention, your affection, and your allegiance, then God is satisfied with what you've given him. And you will be satisfied with all that you have in God, in Jesus Christ.
Nothing liberates a saint more than knowing you're in a place of walking close to the Lord, humble before him, crying out, God, you are God, you are God. And when the world offers me all these things, Lord, I'm not jumping back and forth. I'm not jumping back and forth, Lord. I want what you want. I want your glory. I want your fame. I'm on my face before you, God, because you are the champion. He is the story. He is the champion in this story, and he is the champion in the story of your life. And God, what you have for me, what you want for me, God, that's what I want. That's what I'm going for. And I'll humble myself and I'll praise your name. The result for them was worship. It was worship. Well, that's the end of the story, kind of, for this week. It, it brings us to the postscript of what goes on. And um, 3.5 years of drought are about to come to a close. It's not the real point of this message, but um, Elijah, he's crying out to God and he's praying to God and the Lord bring the rain. He said you'd bring the rain. And uh, he sends out seven times someone to go look and see are the clouds coming, are the clouds coming? It wasn't a prayer of doubt, it was a prayer of consistency and fervency. And then they see a cloud coming and God provides the rain and the drought is over <clears throat> and God does his work. But it's not going to be easy for Elijah See, Elijah wasn't perfect, just like we aren't perfect. So far in the story of Elijah, in the four messages we've seen, we've seen his faithfulness, we've seen him, God work through him, we've seen him. And after this great victory, you would think, he's on the Mount Carmel experience. And Jezebel will come along and threaten his life, and he will stumble, and he will lose focus, and he'll need to get right with the Lord, just like we do. Because he's being sanctified as well. He's being sanctified as well. God is working in him just as he does in us. So don't look at Elijah and go, oh, no, well, I could never be like that. I could never. He's about to have a great big stumble. Jason's going to preach about that next week. And you're going to see the struggle that he faced and how God works and how God restores him just like he does with us. And so if you found yourself hopping around one foot here, one foot here, and you're dancing back and forth, God's ready to receive uh, your confession and get right with him, and he will restore you, and that's an amazing part of what God does. Well, so what? So what? You know, I've said around here for a long time, what is there in your life? The only way you can explain it is God is doing it. That was an easy one for, for, Isaiah, or for um, Elijah. It was easy for him. He goes, well, I remember the brook, and I remember um, Zarephath, the widow, and hey, that kid, yeah, I remember that kid, and, and, and God, God, God did it kind of stories. What are the God did it kind of stories in your life? I mean, start with your salvation if you don't have anything else, but start with your salvation. Uh, think about the people you've prayed for who've trusted Christ. Think about the job that you prayed for and God provided for you. Uh, think about the, the uh, physical situation you were going through and God answered your prayer. What is there in your life, the only way you can explain it is God is doing it. How long will you keep jumping back and forth between two opinions? How long? How long will you keep jumping back and forth? Well, I want the world and I want what it offers and it's so nice and all of that stuff and, and you turn around and you leave Jesus in the dust. How long? How long? And when will you step up and step out in faith and trust God 
And what's God placed on your heart to trust him for today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your spirit to convict us in our walk. I pray for the person in the room right now, Lord, you've already made it very clear. I didn't, I didn't tell them what it was. You told them what it was. Just like you told Elijah how he should move forward, you've already told them what the thing is they're hopping back and forth in on their life. And Lord, I pray you'd give them the courage and the boldness to deal with that. Not because of some message or some church, but because they've heard from you, Lord, today. They've had their Mount Carmel showdown. And it's time the how long is over. It's time. For the person who's in the room who has never trusted Christ, Lord, it's time. Bring them to the place where they would turn in repentance and faith and stop trying on their own and failing and faltering all over. That This would be the day that they would commit themselves, that they would accept the work of Jesus Christ, and they would walk faithfully for your glory. God, do that work, I pray, in someone's heart and life today. Do all of this, we pray, for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.